Dishing It Out with Gary O'Hanlon and Gareth Mullins. A Go Loud original podcast. Your ultimate culinary companion. Go Loud. Sounds better with us. Welcome to another episode of Dishing It Out with me, Gary O'Hanlon. And me, Gareth Mullins. And coming up on today's show, as always, we will have our ingredient of the week. We'll be answering all your questions food related and uh, anybody that has any it's food at goloudnow.com if you haven't sent us anything yet we love to hear from our listeners so get something in there and coming up on today's show as well our interview today is worth is with a cork chef Ryan O'Sullivan which some of you may know some of you may not have heard but the most recent Hell's Kitchen and USA which was filmed in Vegas Gordon Ramsay show year 22 I think it may be yeah I think it is actually yeah and um, Ryan O'Sullivan from Cork just won I think a quarter of a million bucks and a head chef position at Ramsay's at Caesars Palace really good guy He's some of it was for his his food looks really good it's going to be our first interview via zoom so hopefully Chef uh, Ed Chef over there doesn't make a dog's a lot. I am nervous. <laughs> <laughs> the pressure. And uh, all being well, you'll actually hear an interview with Ryan O'Sullivan. And if we end up chatting about something else, you know that Ed has let down the boys. Okay, so now we're into ingredients of the week. And Gary, I'm sure you've been thinking about this one like. Yeah. Tirelessly well, since last week. So what are you going with this? Well, week? I mean, I just made a fool out of you last week. <laughs> I mean, I can't believe that you never brought up eggs until like it appeared last Excuse week. Excuse me, I went to the I had an ocean. epiphany and just <laughs> eggs appeared. This week, I am going with an ingredient that I seem to use. And funny enough, when I talk to you and you and I chat a lot on the phone, especially over the last few months, um, you definitely season a lot with citric acid as well. I'm going to go with lemons as my ingredient of the week, right? You look like you're soaking a lemon <laughs> most of the time. Boom, boom. So chefs, just to let you in on it, right? Whenever we're seasoning food, it's never always, never just salt and pepper. I use a huge amount of citric acid as far as seasoning goes. I use a huge amount of vinegars and then sugars, honey, sweeteners, spices in particular, salt, pepper. So you're hitting all these different parts of the mouth and the tongue and the taste palate. But lemon juice, Gareth, as you know, and lemon zest, it really, really, I mean, say, for example, you have a curry that's got too hot or too spicy, you add lemon juice to it, it neutralizes it right away. If you are you just want to dress some salad leaves to finish a dish with a little bit of uh, cold-pressed virgin olive oil with black pepper and then lemon juice, I'm telling you now, it just, and instead of any vinaigrette or any dressing, it just, throw, it just gives it a whole new body. Beautiful, beautiful product. And again... Like anything, if you've never been to Italy, I would encourage anyone to visit Sorrento at some time in their lives when you see an unwaxed, fresh lemon. And if you're lucky enough to stay in a hotel, which many of the hotels there have, there's trees nearly drooped over all these hotels. If you ever see Sorrento, the place is just magical. Put your hand out out the bedroom window and pluck an oil lemon and, uh, you know, squeeze it into your G&T and away you go. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? But really, lemons for me... I mean, I just go through so I many. I think it's an interesting thing that I, you know, you hear chefs, especially I mean, it's quite apt that we're talking about this, but on Gordon Ramsay style programs, and they're talking about a chef's palace. Yeah. And you know, you'd often hear chefs referring to other chefs by saying he has an amazing palate. And what what we're talking about here is the understanding of a 
of seasoning something. Mm. And it doesn't, as Gary very rightfully said there, it doesn't necessarily mean we're just looking after the, the salt and pepper content or the salt content really. It's about understanding whether a sauce needs a bit more fat, so you're going to add in a little bit more butter or you're going to add in some more cream or it needs to be balanced out with the acidity. And something like a tiny little droplet of lemon juice can really fix something. And when you season something, what you're trying to do is catch the other flavours. You're not trying to turn it into a lemon sauce. Yeah. But if it's a, I don't know, if it's a tarragon sauce or if it's a chive sauce, you want to lift the flavour of tarragon or you want to lift the flavour of chives. Um, and what that, that little bit of lemon juice will... It will dumb down the fatness, the, the fat content in the sauce, and it lift the acidity, so it allow you to taste. And it'll be in sauces that you don't think. I mean, like I have a lovely lamb rump dish that I do, like with a caper sherry vinegar sauce, and especially these like dark veal stock, roasted bone, like two three days of reducing stocks and straining and caramelizing and bringing them down, and it's almost adding a freshness to something like that. It'll brighten it up. Yeah, it brightens it up. It just it just takes gives it a wee bit more life and really it's I think it obviously chefs without seasoning I think we you know we talk about salt and pepper and seasoning and palates as you just said there in a whole different world to what you know Denise would or Annette would or wives and you know in a professional setting for me if if food and the dishes that you're presenting and you're sending out like if, if you're neglecting seasoning like you're an, am, you're an amateur, you know, it really it blows my mind how many chefs don't season properly. Do you know what I made yesterday and I'd forgotten now? I made a lemon cheesecake with my daughter yesterday. Lovely. And we were making the cream. And I bet pack. you tasted it a million times. No, but times. you know, I, I let George May try yeah. let her land on the seasoning. So I was like, we whipped up the mascarpone and we added in some sugar and we added in some cream and then I put some lemon zest in and I got her to taste it and she was, I says, what do you reckon it needs? And she was like, oh, you know, I don't like it really lemony. And I was like, no, I know you don't. I says, but doesn't need that. And she says, well, it definitely needs some lemon juice. Yeah. So I added in a bit of lemon juice and we whipped That's it That's my girl, you yeah, were thinking, no, I right? Like, I was like, you know, we need to be careful here because if we keep whipping and we could split it. Yes. That we're adding in some lemon juice. So we tasted it again and I was like, I was hoping she was going to ask for more lemon juice and I was like, what's your reckon? And she was like, no, it still needs a bit more lemon. But that little technique that we were Such doing, a proud daddy moment. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, and then, you know, then it was, we got, like, I probably would have brought it on a little bit. Yeah. More, but she... Baby quite, steps. No, but yeah. rightfully, you know, cooking is about what you like. Yeah, so true. She was like, that's how I like it. So in any way, we put it in on top of the biscuit and stuck it in the fridge. It's gas you say that because Cora's always on to me. He goes, oh, daddy, too much lemon. We've been yeah, yeah. Oh, so I'd, I need to cool the jets. Yeah, you know? but kids naturally, yeah. child's palate, um, and even though she's a teenager now, but a child's palate doesn't have the same tolerance for... Yeah. for well, I, I just say, look, Cora, have. if you can't take the heat, yeah, get, get out. out. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's just daddy's just bringing too much heat, so, you know, suck <laughs> it up, move on. She is 10, so okay. she should know by now. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Good man, Gary. <laughs> okay, so that was my magical ingredient. Magical. What sort of muck are you throwing at me? So the reason I'm choosing this ingredient, again, it's because something, that I actually use a lot of this in my cookery and I use it to finish dishes again. Mm. Um, and it's olive oil because... Um, mm, it's nice, eh? It is. I just think it's an ingredient that... There's an awful lot no of... No crisp and dry around swords. No, no, exactly. But in, in my <laughs> professional life especially, you know yourself, you can spend a lot of money on a good olive oil. But really what I'm going to just explain is what you need to be looking out for if mm. you are buying olive oil. And I think it's really cool when you're on holidays 
to the first day you land on your holidays, go down to the supermarket and buy a bottle of cold pressed olive oil. And last year we holidayed down in France um, and I actually bought the olive oil that we used for the, or the two weeks that we were there and yeah. I bought it in a vineyard. There was a little uh, farm shop. So when they talk about cold pressing olive oil, what they're doing is normally there's two or three presses of an olive oil. Um, the first one is cold press, meaning that the machinery is not applying any heat. Mm. So they're only taking the first part of the olive oil. So when they heat the olives, then they're able to extract more oil and then the quality is not as good. So mm. when you're down, in, uh, when you're in Italy or you're in France or you're in Spain, the first press of the olive oil is so peppery, it nearly burns the top of your palate mm. um, because it's just the first part of the oil that comes from the olive. Hardcore. Yeah, and normally it's at it's in spring is when they, they press the, the olives. So you're getting this really kind of almost cloudy, you know, if you put it in yeah. the fridge, it will totally solidify and you'll have to warm it up to be able to get it out. And those really good first press cold olive oils are not used for cooking with. They're used for finishing things yeah. with it. Someone has went to the trouble of not getting any heat near it, so don't be panicking. Yeah, don't be ruining it. Yeah, don't use. And it. and olive oil is a very low smoke point and flash point anyway, and it's also too strong for fish. It can be. Yeah, the flavor so, would be too strong. But I mean, you can get light olive oils that are perfectly yes. okay. Normally, those light olive oils they've been they've been split with another. Yeah, they've oil. been diluted with another oil. oil yeah, a lot of vegetable oil into them. So yeah, I think like. You've given the recipe loads of times on here because I'm all I don't think there's a chef in the world that doesn't like a caprese salad. Oh. Because if you get a really ripe tomato, a really good young cold pressed olive oil, and mm. a little bit of vinegar, like yeah. you've given it loads of times, and a little bit of salt, it's probably up there one oh, of the best. One of the nicest things you'll ever eat, yeah, but for sure. If it's a, an unripe tomato, have you a country of preference, Gareth, when it comes to olive oil, or not really? No, I just the process really. There's a lot of Spanish, Italian, Spanish Cypriot. is very good. I mean, it's good. The Greeks do. Really Greeks. I was going to say, yeah, yeah. Vinny Flynn, he was a customer of mine. I think he he holidays a lot in Cyprus, and he would come to Viewmount House when I worked there. His mum he's from Longford, and he would always gift me a little bottle. So every year he owns a few olive trees, and they press them. And when they're over on holidays, he takes it back, and. I used to buy all my olive oil actually from Monica Timmermans. Monica Timmermans used to run a B&B or a little holiday place in Cavan and they sold up and they moved somewhere north of Barcelona and uh, Robert I think is her husband's name. So two or three times a year they would travel to Ireland. He collects old Land Rovers and the old ESB Land Rovers and they would fill the Land Rover, drive over and Stevie and, and uh, Piche and a few other chefs around the country would buy the olive oil and uh, and yeah, you would, Finca Tres Fuentes or Finca Tres Fonts was their olive farm and, uh, and Monica for one Christmas she gave me the gift of an olive tree so then whenever she would come around Christmas with the stuff that I would buy then she'd have a wee bottle because all oh, that came from your tree. No like, that was this year's Olive oil. You still from, get it from from you. Well, I, I haven't been cooking in Ireland, so right. I haven't bought off them in years. So whenever, but whenever she would come, like she would say, that's from you. But olive. it's something like if you if you're in Italy, if you're in Spain, if you're in France, it's a real big deal when they come to pressing the olive. Oh, it's a massive deal. Like getting that first cold yeah. pressed olive oil, like it's. I mean, they drink it nearly. You know? Yeah, well, Vinny sends me the videos where he puts the videos up on his Facebook page, and you could tell that. 
there's all these sorts of characters floating around because it probably almost acts like a co-op where the guy comes one mm. time or the machine might land. So all the little farmers or all the people with two or three trees or one tree or whatever you would have, they probably all chip in, split the cost of the pressing, and then you get the fruits of your I labor. Worked with a, I worked with an Italian chef when I was down in um, Australia. And when especially when it comes to grilling meats, like when you grill a ribeye steak and if you just dress it with a tiny little bit of a really good high grade olive oil mm. I mean it literally brings the steak to another level it's yeah. like another layer of seasoning um, it, it's not always just dressed on the top of a salad or even if you a really good olive oil folded into some mashed potato right at the end oh an olive oil mashed potato oh, so man. good it's top so good but top I think drawer. home cooks don't ever think of bringing fat into yeah. things the way we do, right? It naturally yeah. comes to us, sir. If you have a really rich sauce that you taste it and you're like, no, there's enough lemon, there's enough seasoning mm-hmm. in there, I'm going to split this sauce now with a really peppery olive oil or yeah. like a bouillabaisse or a, yeah. you know, any type of a fish bisque sauce. Anyway. Yeah, and the key thing Gareth said there was finishing, right? So like, just a little tip for any listeners, right? If, if In particular, if you're making a dressing, I would always say, and I'm sure Gareth agrees, right? Never use an expensive olive oil in a vinaigrette or a dressing. The star of the show in a vinaigrette is the vinegar. If you use a good oil, that oil will eventually, after a week or two, overpower the vinegar. And it just deems, whether it's a red wine dressing, a red wine vinaigrette, or a balsamic vinaigrette, Use the cheapest vegetable oil or canola oil you get your hands on. Where the olive oil comes into its own is what Gareth said. It's finishing the dish. It's touching up, tossing a few bits of Ricola, whatever it be, or around the plate. And uh, and that's us. Two good ones this week, guys. Nice one. Okay, so joining us now, this is our first Zoom. Look at us getting all fancy, Gareth. Huh? Taking it up a notch. Yeah. We had to go to... Ed Chef ha- is taking it up the notches. We're yeah, just sitting That's here. true, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Producer Ed Chef is just uh, showing off, wanted us to use a few gadgets around the studio. And where better to talk to a cork man than in the arsehole of Florida. And uh, Ryan O'Sullivan, straight fresh from showing the Yankee Doodle Dandies how to cook on Hell's Kitchen. Mate, over the moon for you. Hell's Kitchen champion. How are you feeling? Uh- Ah, uh, lads, uh, unbelievable. I mean, I'm still on air, you know what I mean? And, you know, thanks for having me on anyway, first and foremost. But it's, you know, it happened to, over two years ago. And for me, it's like... Two you know, years ago? Able, two years ago, man, yeah, January 21, it happened. And now, obviously, it's going to be going into three years now this year. But um, it happened in the middle of COVID, out in Hollywood. That's my new nickname now. The boys calling me Hollywood because I spent five weeks out there. <laughs> <laughs> it's um, it's great, boys. You know, it was great, a great little nugget to have because, you know, if I was having a bad day or whatever, you know, I could almost see into the future knowing what was coming down the road for me because I knew it wasn't going to be here for two years, you know. But I'm still on air, man. It's, you know, wow. it's, a, it's an unbelievable feeling. And, you know, I see clips of it every single day and I still have that stupid grin on my face every time I watch no, it. Listen, you know, it. It never gets old. Your mammy must be different than my mammy. There's no way an Irish mammy kept a secret for two years. Did you tell her? Well, she had to sign an NDA as well. Now, oh, right. she, so she could get NDA, I, I, don't, I don't know. I can't say it on air or anywhere. Yeah, she yeah. did, but uh, she definitely didn't put it up on the family group chat anyway. She definitely didn't do that. <laughs> so, for someone that doesn't know what you've won, Ryan, give us a little bit of an overview of what, what actually happened, like the, what the show is about. I mean, we obviously know what it is, but there will be listeners that don't. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, no bother, boys. So, uh, Hell's Kitchen itself, there's 18 contestants from all walks of life. Um, it has different teams every year. 
Um, and the theme of this one was the American dream. So everybody came from different backgrounds, whether you were, um, you know, born in a different country, your parents were from a different country, you came to the country as of late, you received um, some sort of visa. So it was people that were there permanently that all came from different backgrounds of life. So, you know, we had Italians, we had Swiss, we had myself, Irish, um, you know, people from all over the country, uh, Canadian as well. So it's kind of just getting a hodgepodge of a melting pot of people into the kitchen. And then, you know, obviously Gordon Ramsay sets us... Um, Challenges to do during the day, um, and then at night time, then you go into service. There's two teams, one red team, one blue team, and usually the way it goes is, you know, male versus female. You know, I think they tried to change it up a few years ago, but they went back to the old, the old format for us, um, and it was great. You know what I mean? Because there's great camaraderie in it, but there's also a bit of backstabbing, and you know, in any competition <laughs> setting. There's always going to be that, you know, looking over your shoulder, who's trying to do you, you know what I mean? Sabotage is real in the kitchen, but it's even realer in, in Hell's Kitchen, you know? Well, did you did you catch anybody out trying to act a maggot or? Absolutely, 100%. And that's the thing with the editing, like, you know, they don't want to, they don't want to show that because it ruins somebody's character. But if they don't, if they don't like him in the first place, they'll do it just to stick somebody up, you know what I mean? Right. They'll stitch him up and say, well, you know what, this is what his true colors are like. No, and what from, like, hiding maison plus or turning off your stoves or what kind of stuff is going on? Shit like that, yeah, turning off pans. <laughs> you when you come back, your scallops are sitting there and they're poaching <laughs> instead of frying in the pan. You know what I mean? And I know I, I can't say on air now if I was guilty or not, but you know what? Allegedly, ah, yeah, someone yeah. tried to he's stitch a, me he's up. A big bucket, he's a big, dirty, guilty head yeah, on him. Yeah, the <laughs> yeah, but I mean, hey. the thing is though, is once once you see the likes of that happening, though, you very quickly go from being a and and I think. You know, you've come up, you know, Maryborough and Cork, I looked it up, like you worked at some really nice places at home and, you know, so you would have went through that traditional brigade and, and in our world, Ryan, as you know, everybody jumps in and pulls you out of the weeds and pulls you out. So it's a very, very different feeling then, I imagine, that you're you're gone from that to like a huge show and you're like, all right, well, I'm in it now. I want to win it. And you think everyone's on your side and then you start to sniff out a few dirty rats. Then it kind of, did it take, did it take the gloss off it then where you're thinking, right, I need to just pull up my big boy pants here and just keep an, an extra set of eyes on everybody and then, you know, still be nice, still be cool, don't be a bollocks and hope that, you know, you can you can get through without being done in? Um, to, to a point, yeah, I agree with you. And I, I, I came up in those brigade-style kitchens back here and, you know, I grew up with tough skin in the kitchens. And when I got there to, to, to the show, and like especially America, it's kind of every man for himself. If you have your own section and you're on the line and, you know, Garmo does Garmo, you're on saute or grill, it's every man for himself. You yeah. know what I mean? But when I got to the show, I could tell, like, we all wanted to be friends, but at the same time, we all, it was a competition. We were all head-to-head. Um, and believe it or not, like, for the first couple of services and challenges, because once we put up the signature dishes, you could tell what the talent was like, but yeah. just what somebody's first dish to give to Gordon Ramsay was like, somebody put up something that they made, you know, boiling pasta from a box, you're thinking to yourself, well, you know what I mean? Where's this fella's head at? You know what I mean? Like, yeah. you're surely you're making your own pasta for Gordon Ramsay, mm. first dish you're ever going to present it. Um, but that's just one thing I kind of found is that like, the talent pool with the lads coming in, you have to figure out who's who and what's what. And then for the first couple of days, like, I'd be giving people little nuggets of information because like I've watched a man, you know, growing up through yeah. the years. I know what mm. he's looking for. And I'd say, lads, you maybe you shouldn't do that. Or, you know, someone would come to me and say, do this that way. And like even through services, like I'd jump over and give somebody a hand if I had, you know, my dish up or if I had my, my proteins rested, I'd yeah. jump over and give somebody a hand. And until I got, I got somebody crossed my path once, I think it was the third episode, where I had a great service. It was my first time on meats. And I think out of out of 45 racks of lamb I sent out, one was rare, not medium rare. You know, 15 Wellingtons, loads of steaks. And then they all tried to throw me under the bus for it because oh, I was a big competition. Dirty. So I was like, well, lads, you're after crossing my path now, boys. I was like, you know, cross me once, that's all it takes. I've been doing nothing but trying to help you all out, give you nuggets of information and pull you one way and the other. 
And no, you want me out of competition for one tiny little mistake. I was like, that's it now, boys. You're going to see a different side to me. Ah, it's yeah, every man for himself. And yeah. that was it because that's the, I'm, I'm the kind of fella in the kitchen that'll try and help everybody because if one goes down, we all go down. Well, you see, yeah. that, you know would, that wouldn't have been lost on Ramsey either because obviously, you know, he famously had, you know, he said this, I maybe what I'm, we grew up, I mean, I work with Marco Pierre White on the restaurant over here and obviously he taught Ramsey and they came from that brigade of you, you, you jump in and, and you help everyone. But at one point he was interviewed and he always said, he says, when you get a, you know, you're hiring or whatever, where are you going? He goes, honestly, he says, if, if an Irish chef appears in front of me or CVs, whatever it'll be, maybe with less experience, because I'm taking the I'm taking the Irish man or woman every time. He says, my experience of them in London, he says, they just, they work harder than everyone else. They jump in and they help out. He loves, so I, I know when I saw you over there, I thought, man, it goes, if, if, if Ryan keeps his shit together over there, but even that, where you're hopping in, like Ramsey, I mean, you're a head chef now, like you comb your kitchen. You don't need to be standing over somebody's shoulder to know, well, fair play to fucking Barry there. He's over helping Megan and she's over doing whatever. Exactly, or vice, yeah. Vice versa. You don't need to walk over. How you, much, how you much know. creative input do you get to what's going on or is it all very guided? Uh, well, your, your whole creative input is all you for the challenges. I mean, like you go downstairs in the morning because we, we sleep above the kitchen in a dorm, like, and you know, you, you don't know what's coming every morning and you kind of get down and you scan the place for 10 seconds to try and figure out what's going on. And, you know, they get straight into it because they don't want you to figure out what it's going to be. So you can't put a dish together in your head. So he'll start talking and it's always on him. And then he'll tell you what the dish is or he'll tell you what, you know, the team the of that challenge is. You know what I mean? So in the, in the challenges, it's completely creative to you, but you only have 10 seconds to, to pick your dish, find your ingredients and get cooking because you only have 40 minutes to right. think about it, cook it, play it, you know? So wow. um, that's completely you. But then obviously they have a set menu for the restaurant at nighttime then and you're, you're cooking his dishes off the menu. Um, and we get, you know, recipe folders, you know, detailed. Um, but the best thing about it that people don't really know is that we actually don't prep anything for the restaurant. There's a separate team that comes in while we're, while we're doing a challenge. And they, they, they prep everything. But we didn't have to make a single willy, but I was there and I was delighted. I was like, I'm not so making a Wellington for me life, lads. The fridge is full, um, full of mise en place and then you just go up and do service. That's it, lads. You just pull it from the fridges. You get it from the back yeah, the back pantry there and you set up your station and away you go. He wow. pull everybody then for the service and he tells uh, he tells everybody what section they're on. But I mean, there's no script for us and that's the thing. It's all raw and uncut. Yeah. But he has a certain agenda to hit and a certain mm. script that he has to do. So he puts people in certain positions where he knows that they're going to get done in and see if they can yeah, handle yeah, the pressure, yeah. you know? And how many covers would you do? Yeah. Just... Uh, so there's, I think it's about a 100 seat a restaurant and wow. they, they try to break it off and do 50-50 red, red and blue, you know what I mean? Right. So it's busy, like it's the, it's no joke. Oh, it's busy, lads. I mean, service will take you two hundred or uh, take you two hours all day long, like two and a half, including desserts. If you make it to desserts, yeah. You know? yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and did he did he shut it down any night? The famous line. I used to work with a wee boy, Matty. He loved throwing that line at me, like we'd be in the shits. And when I was in Viewmount House back when I cooked in Ireland, Matty used to turn around and just be like, Chef. Shut, shut it, it down. down. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> shut it down. I was like, Matty, shut the fuck up. It was every, everything's grand. You know what I mean? Did he ever shut it down, Ryan? He, he did, yeah. He did the first two services, boys. I was absolutely reeking. I was, I mean, I was no, never so embarrassed in my life. Like, I mean, it was never for my fault, hand in the air. Like, yeah. I can't say, I, I nothing got to do with Andy Reason when we got, we got kicked out the kitchen. 
But the first two nights, you, know, you just can't get it together. You're working in a new environment <laughs> with these people you've never met before in your life. And they're all running around like headless chickens. Yeah. There's raw chicken, there's raw steak, there's raw scallops. I mean, everything, everything is raw. And that's the famous line, it's raw. Because he knows it's not ready. And he's screaming at these lads that are red in the head, sweating. Like, they're yeah. in headlights. They don't know what's happening. The full dining room looking at you. He's screaming at Aye. you. There's 40 cameras. The open, I mean, the it, open kitchen must be a killer, huh? And, but you know, honest to God, boy, it wasn't the open kitchen for me. It was it was the, the cameras that are, that are behind you because it's a mirrored kitchen. So right. there's only it's all mirrors around the side. Did you know that there's 15 cameras behind the, the mirrors? Yeah. Like because the people can't really see if you're down the back. So I always stuck my section closest to the pantry, so it could be close to the dry store and also be out of the way of the people. So like they can barely see me at the back, and that was my strategy was to just stay out of the light, stay away from the from the drama, stay away from the, the vision. Because I mean, if you can't see it, you can't get in trouble. But I mean, yeah, these exactly. eyes all over the kitchen. Yeah. Dishing it out with Gary O'Hanlon and Gareth Mullins, a Go Loud original podcast, giving you a helping hand with your food frustrations. Go Loud sounds better with us. Dishing It Out with Gary O'Hanlon and Gareth Mullins. A Go Loud original podcast. Subscribe for free on the Go Loud app and never miss an episode. Go Loud. Sounds better with us. And what sort of, what level was everyone cooking at? Like, I mean, were, were I you... About the, to say, there must yeah, have been a few... Were you the head there, chef in Mirasol by the time, or were you still like a, a line cook or a sous? No, I was, only, I was only, uh, I was only, I was, I tell you why I left the Maryborough, I was, uh, I was a demi-chef. No, whenever, went, whenever Hell's Kitchen started, sorry, like what level were you at in Marisol whenever you went filming? Oh, no, so I was actually, I was in America, I'm in America six years, so I was here, so I was uh, I was chef de cuisine over here yeah. um, in Florida. So when I got there, I'd already experienced a run in the kitchen because I was running my kitchen. That's what I you mean, know what yeah. I mean? And was everybody yeah, else, so like, was I everybody already, else I already level? What's that, bud? Was everybody else, like, were they all head chefs? No, 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 chefs? no, no, there wasn't. No, and that's no. the thing about it is that, like, you're, the competition, when they do the casting for it, we didn't even have to cook a sausage for anybody. It was completely 100% personality-based. Yeah. There was no cooking to get on the show. Yeah. And, like, again, I didn't even apply for the show. But they, they came to me and saw my food on Instagram and, yeah. you know, saw the Irish flag. They were like, all right, this fella's in America. He's cooking food and he's an Irish flag. He's probably, he's probably a good fit for the show. Wow. Um, but, no, the, the competition, like... So, in that, sense, kitchen, in that sense, then, it's maybe not fair in some ways because, I mean, you've obviously got the jump on. You, you can probably feed off of that a wee bit and say, right, well, like, six or seven of these aren't at my level anyway so if I can keep my head that's six or seven that are definitely getting out of here before me you know 100% you know what I mean and that's the thing like I never went in there with the attitude that I was the worst or the best my whole thing was just don't go home first and make a fool of yourself yeah like, that was that's all because the lads would take the piss out of me for the rest of my life if I went home yeah, first I you know, know what I mean so I, know. Nice, I, I was just worried about this stick I'd get if I went home early that was it that was the fear I had it's like no fear to cooking like yeah. and uh and then, like, once I got there and I saw the talent after the first signature dish, I was like, right, I'm not the worst, I'm not the best, I can relax now, you know what I mean? And it's 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 different kind of pressure when you have your idol, like, because Gordon Ramsay, like, he's my idol, like, and he always will be, and, like, just the way the man operates is, is insane. But, like, when he's over your shoulder and you know you're doing well, but he comes down and gives you one little, you know, like, he'll, he'll put one doubt in your mind and then see if you can handle that doubt. And, like, and then if he sees you crumble, like, he sees blood, he'll come for you because he yeah. wants to see if you can deal with the pressure, you, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. he, he knows you can cook. But it's the pressure he put on you if he puts that little like nugget of doubt in your mind and then he'll come for you if he smells blood like and it's it's mad how it happens because I've been watching it for years and I, I know like if he comes if he comes, just don't crumble. Just yeah. you know, keep the head. You know, yeah, chef. And what he wants is 
when he's asking all these chefs, like, give me the chicken, give me the steak, give me the welly, he knows it's not ready. He knows it's not ready. And like, he, he, they run up like, here it is, like, there are the headlights. Uh, like, they know it's no. not ready. But if he's screaming at you, he wants something, like, you nearly, you know, Japan's going up to him, like, saying, yeah. like, you know it's not ready. But, like, yeah, with me, tell, yeah, just, I never yeah. once, yeah. never it's once gave ready. him anything that yeah. wasn't ready. You know, yeah. he wants it to bark back at him and say, it's not ready. I can't give it to if it's not ready. Yeah. You know, that's what he wanted, you know? Yeah. And how did you couple that then? Just say, chef, I need three minutes. I need two minutes. I need 30 seconds. Oh, he, he ripped me a new one. Like, but I told him, yeah. I was like, you're going to yeah. give it back to me, chef. I was like, he was like, Ryan, you're taking the piss now. Everybody's yeah. saying six, you're saying eight. I'm like, everybody's saying six, but they're giving you raw food. Give me the two minutes. Yeah. And like, we, we, like, we had like, you know, confrontational parts where like, I'd say, it's not, I'm not giving it to you. Like yeah. they won't show that in the editing then because he they see you giving him back off. Yeah. Like this they, they don't want they don't want people to see that you're telling him, I'm not giving it to you, it's not ready. So that never make the edit, you know what I mean? Yeah. And um as far as you obviously got the dingbats. Do you get the money back in 2021 or do you only get it now? Or I mean we're you know, not, have, not, have you been, not, have you been to, splashing to be honest, the cash yet, have you? I tell you what, boys, I'm waiting patiently for a phone call. It happened two weeks ago. I haven't gotten an email, a message, nothing from nobody yet. I, I, want I mean, the I mean money. nothing. I haven't gotten nothing. I mean, I'm getting phone calls every day, like any chance of a loan. I'm like, boys, I haven't gotten the money yet. <laughs> <laughs> um, but no, I mean, like, it's, it's show business, boys. I mean, I'll, I'll be waiting yeah. for it because I talked to a couple of winners prior to this and like, they were saying, like, you don't get anything for a couple of months afterwards because ah, well, they're, they're sure. going to try and... No, and that's the thing, you know what I mean? Like, there's a contract saying, I know it's coming down the road, but, um, you know, with the job and stuff like that, I'm still not too sure and about is the it. And you know, like, is the money the salary for year one in the job, or is it just a, a cash prize for winning? No, they actually, it's supposed to be a cash prize, but if you don't take the job, they nip a bit off it, you know what I mean? So they'd ha a bit of, the, a bit of the, the prize is your salary for the year, and then... The other half then is your is your cash prize, but they don't tell you that until the show's over. And <laughs> and can you say whether you're going to take the role or not, or have you seen where you're going to be working? Uh, I've seen where I'm going to be working, and uh, between between the three of us and the thousands of people listening, I don't know yet, lads. Uh, I, I don't know just yet, um, just because nobody's contacting me and nobody's yeah. giving me the ins and outs of what's happening next, and I can't make a decision if nobody's giving me the well, rundown. I, you know, I, so. I take the advice of... I'm not going to say wiser, but definitely some older heads and uh, keep your thoughts on that to yourself until you get the dingbats in the back. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> that, that's why I'm keeping, it, keeping, keeping the powder dry for now, as I can't I say keep, too much in case yeah. anybody hears it. And tell us, Ryan, about Marisol. And is it a private golf club? Do you golf? Because I'm an avid golfer. I'm shite. I'm useless, but I love the game of golf. Um, it's a private members club, is it? Or tell us a little bit about where you're working. Yeah, Mirasol Country Club on PGA, lads. It's across the road from uh, PGA National where they do the Honda Classic every year. Mm. Um, it's beautiful, beautiful part of the world. Uh, private club. We've about uh, 2,500 members peak season. Obviously, a lot of people leave after the uh, when the summer comes because it's yeah. hot. Uh, it is private, fully private. You know, it's a massive, massive compound. Um, and it's built on almost like this... this um, this wildlife sanctuary, so you can't build it on it anymore because there's loads of wildlife there. It's almost swampy, you know. So there's wow. two or three golf golf courses on it. Um, beautiful spot, pickleball, tennis, uh, tennis courts, you know, pool, esplanade. You know, they have it all there. It's it's a mini village behind gates. How much food and beverages there? Are many restaurants, bars. What's there's four outlets there at the moment, lads, and they were are thinking about building a new one soon enough in a couple of years. We have to break ground on that yet, but there is a there's like a, a sports bar and grill mm. that can do you know anything up to seven eight hundred covers a night, start from five to nine. You know what I mean? It's, it's it's quick in and out um, and then you have the banquet hall upstairs your, your banquets are, and then you have you know team nights there you know where they hold functions and stuff like that but then they put on buffets every other night um, and then you have a revive uh, 
tool grill kind of little bar as well. So you go down there for your healthy snacks and bites. It's right below the gym. So they try to keep it healthy there. They do a lot of lunches and they do a couple of dinners uh, every week. Um, and then you have my restaurant upstairs then, which is um, the fine dining restaurant, which is modern Italian that's called Solstice. And uh, that holds about 100 people. We do about 100 seats out there. You know, that's topped out at that because when they come to that restaurant, they don't want to turn a table. You want someone yeah. to come in and spend. You, know, you want to spend. You want to drop a grand on dinner there, you know, per head, mm. you know. So it's like, you know, they come in, they course it out. Everybody gets a boost. You know, you get a, you get mm. your mid-course and then, you know, bottles of wine and they bring their guests. That's their kind of show-off restaurant where they bring their guests. You know, there's obviously a dress code. You have to wear your jacket. And, I have you know, to say from your, your, your pasta work is impeccable. It looks beautiful, mate. Yeah. Thanks, boy. Appreciate that, really, boy. Yeah. You have a lovely touch, I have to say, mate. It's not too often, because that's, I don't know, just I came across it first before I even knew anything about the show, and I thought, geez, it goes, there's a boy there that can. I, I just think it's a. You, it's you an did art. a lobster ravioli in the competition, did you? Yeah. I did, yeah. I did a lobster ravioli in the competition. Was it's not Ramsey's recipe, but you know what, lads? I played a game where I know he's a sucker for a lobster yeah, ravioli, yeah, yeah. so I had to put it in the final <laughs> menu. I knew what he's doing, boys. Yeah. I knew what I was doing. Yeah, that's why whenever on the restaurant, a lot of people come with a, a lemon tart, and Marco's famous for his lemon you tart. Got it right, huh? And I, like, we say to them, you know, in the meeting, goes, you better fucking, you better <laughs> dot your eyes and cross your T's. He goes, if you're going to give that man a lemon tart. If, if you go back to where did your career start or where did food start for you? Your dad was a chef, is that right? Well, man's a chef, yeah. He's, he's, he's since retired now, he's kind of gone up the game a little bit, you know. Um, he's um, started with him, obviously stemmed from him being a chef. You know, every young fella kind of wants to be his own man growing up, you know what I mean? And it's, you know, kind of following daddy's footsteps. But he told me, he was like, you'd be mad. He's like, don't do it, you know what I mean? He was like, I'm telling you now, don't do it. My mother was the same. She was like, he's gone, you know what I mean? Like the hours, the social hours. And as I got older, then I kind of got into it because food was always a part of my life and nobody ever pushed it on me you know what I mean and it was just something that I was interested in and, and that's all it was you know I think so, if my dad even wasn't the chef I think I would have went down that road anyway because yeah. nobody forced me into cooking or right. watching TV programs about food which was just an interest to me mm-hmm. um, and then when I was, I was about eight or nine I remember like this is probably my earliest like memory of food and where, where, where the turning point was for me we were going out fishing one early morning one Saturday morning it was about seven o'clock in the morning going out fishing uh, down the Lee and we went into a deli, we stopped into a deli and it was my first time ever, like, you know, really like climbing over the counter, looking at all the food, just went out to the deli and I, I picked out a jambon. And I remember walking out of the deli with a small 500 ml CMP bottle of milk and a jambon in my hand, just sitting on the wall, like watching the sun come up before we do a bit of fishing. I ate the jambon and I'm like, what is this? Like, you know, it's completely taken away by a jambon, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. I've been addicted ever since, lads. Do you know what I mean? I make it appear to stop in the freezer. Pop pastry, do that to the next, to the I best of the <laughs> Well, look, Ryan, we'll wrap it up shortly, but we ask our guests when they come on to give us, I suppose, well, we've changed it as time goes on. It used to be a cookbook. You're one of the first when we're going down memory lane now. A meal, your most memorable meal, whether it's one that you cooked or for the most Wait, part... One, one, was a jambon. One that, oh, wow. yeah, I'm starting to think... It's there a, you go. It's a jambon on a wall in Cork, yeah. <laughs> but the most memorable meal that you've had in your career or in your life to date? The most memorable meal I've had, I mean... I mean, there's so many to choose from, as you know yourself, you know what I mean? There's, you know, there's 10, 15 that stick out at me, you know, immediately. But I think, to be honest with you, the one for me that really, really, you know, meant a lot to me because I put my heart and soul into it. It was, you know, my final final year in college uh, back in CIT, but it was MTU. Um, and, you know, we, we all get a day to do service. And me and my best buddy at the time, like the two of us were, were, were side by side. 
um, we created this menu, um, you know, for the lecturers, and then you know we were able to bring our friends and family in to to, to eat the, the lunch. You know what I mean? That was yeah. almost like our final our final exam. You know what I mean? Like in you know me and my buddy Evan, you know, we put together this fantastic menu, and it was great. You know, like looking back, and I know it was shocking. I mean, it, was some <laughs> of the worst food. it was some of the worst food I've ever produced. It comes up every yeah. year and haunts me on Facebook memories. But it's you have um, to tell us what it, it was, it was now. <laughs> I mean, there was a roast. Uh, we we did a bone and roll um, a shoulder of pork, and then we braised it for ages, and then we just simple mash. And then we had like a Karen Parsnip um, crush or a puree with that, and it was just a lovely jus. And then we and did you this. You thought uh, you were a business, I'd say. We thought we were the business. And then there was one of them. We had a uh, Thai fish cakes that was on every single menu in Ireland at the yeah, time. So we yeah. had these Thai fish cakes on with it, this like uh, sweet chili lime aioli. Um, I, there was one or two more. I think we had a rack of lamb on it too, like uh, across the rack of lamb. And we actually had a vegetarian cannelloni on it because I was at the Marybrook at the time. He just we made about five different, five different countries. <laughs> it was a trip around the world that menu. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it was just some, it was just something that we knew how to make. And I was like, if we can do it at work, we can do it here. And we'd be his knees, like we'd show off. And then I think to finish, then we did this uh, at the time. You know, student like I think it was about a euro for the drink, and it was Jameson red lemonade. So we made a Jameson and red lemonade sorbet. Oh, <laughs> it was <dear>. unbelievable. <laughs> Um, you know and that was that for me was that the yeah. joy of that man and like for us running a kitchen even in a college it was kind of like I love this this is what yeah. I'm going to do for the rest of my life and yeah. we were just cooking in college with the lads you know what but I mean you know, just that's with, for me see you just said something there right and I think you're going to have that all the way through your career where on the day this is amazing and really in the moment is all that matters I mean I look back at stuff that I did when Viewmount opened in 2008, I think to myself, what the fuck was I thinking? Putting a, I charged people a lot of money for that dish. It was brutal. And, it was brutal. and, and some of them, you're just like, oh, Jesus Christ almighty. Thank God none of the boys or any food critics came to that. But at the time, it probably had its place. And it was, and that is, in, in one way, it shows how much your career is evolving, that your standards are evolving. Well, I, think, evolving I think even you know? when you look back to... Like Marco's food in the early days. Yeah. Like if you look back at his food, how heavily things were sauced. And, you know, I mean, it did stand the test of time and it's yeah. starting to come back a little bit. But that's food is like fashion a lot of the time, mm -hmm. especially when it comes to the, the plating and the presentation. But it's the techniques is what you, I'm sure you cooked that pork perfectly. And yeah. I'm sure the fish. Oh, we cake did. Was yeah. No, it was great. Like, it was, it was great. It was, it was done well. But, like, looking back at it, I'm like, yeah. Jesus, what were we thinking? He's beating two like, veg again, though. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah but that's, and that, that's what I go back to, boys, because I like to cook from the heart. I don't like Aye. this finicky tweezer stuff. You know no, what I mean? Yeah. I give you a good, wholehearted, solid food that's, you know, cooked technically and seasoned perfectly. And, you know, we all have our days in the kitchen. We can't be fantastic every day. And, and yeah. that's, that's what it's all about, is getting back on that bike the next day after you have a bad service or, because nobody has perfect service every single night. It's oh, unheard of. You know what I mean? That is for so You sure. know yourselves. That's the way it is. But I mean, like going back to saying that food is trending again in the stuff that people used to do. Like I'm a sucker for a volavant. You know what I mean? Like, oh, and, like, here. You met your matter. brother. Met your brother right here, man. I made the mask. I tell weekend. you, lads. I tell you, I'm a volavant lad true and true. I try to have them like once a month, whether if it's yeah. seafood or just a regular chicken and mushroom. Did man. you make a volavant for Ramsey in the competition? It was on my, it was on my, it was one of the starters for my final dish on the like my final menu. Uh. He loved it. He loved it, man. Because one of the sous chefs there said to me, well, I mean, I jazzed it up a little bit. Yeah. I did like, I did like a dressed up, you know, um, uh, King trumpet mushroom hashed with like a fin herb salad and pickled shallots and black truffles. I mean, it wasn't like the one I got back in the Maryborough back in 2015. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? It was a little bit more swanier than that. Now, like, but uh, like one of the sous chefs on the show when I was doing the menu, he said, "Where are we? The 70s? Good luck winning Hell's Kitchen with a volavant." I said, "I'll show you yeah. the best volavant you'll ever get." Yeah. And then I put Good it up in front of Ramsey, and he said, 
He said, you've got some balls, lad. Put a follow on the menu in the final dish. He said, but you know what, though? I like it. I like yeah. it a lot. And I was like, see, you know yeah. what? He's a man yes. that's after me all half because yes. he knows yes. it's a timeless classic. It's the, it's the execution. It's a timeless classic. Yeah, yeah it's the sure. execution, yeah. Well, listen, Ryan, thanks a million for taking time out of your day, mate. I'm sure you're inundated with interview requests at the minute. We'll Hopefully, have to meet up with you when you come back home. You yeah, know. when you come home, give us a shout. Give we'll go on the razzle-dazzle. And, uh, I'd love it, boys. I'd we'll love it. sink a feed of pints and we'll... Uh, <laughs> we'll even cook you a volume on the yeah. <laughs> and the one I'll hold you to that one lads. Yeah, I give you the all ins and outs about the editing that I can't say on air I'll give you all yeah. the secrets and, and you know having lived in America for six years mate I know it's not easy being away from home but you did your mammy and daddy and all your buddies in Cork you did I, them all I proud I have to say you have a brilliant American accent <laughs> <laughs> like the one, the one thing anyway I'm not going to let go of this accent like, I can't like, the stick I get for them like the Donegal accent it's hardly shift you know it so is, uh, well is. done Ryan and uh, thanks for chatting this today mate thanks Ryan all the best pal that's appreciated thanks for having me on yeah. see you soon bye bye okay so it's one of my favourite bits of the show now it's the culinary conundrums and you're over to the maestro Ed Chef what are we at Ed uh, I hope you like my chef's moustache that I've grown <laughs> especially <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Hello, hello Gareth and Gary I absolutely adore the pod it has reignited my passion for cooking so thanks for that it's a good start I'm having a roundy birthday soon hmm. and my husband is hounding me about what to get me and I think I'm gonna get him to splash out on a kitchen gadget. I want to get a proper blender and wonder what can you recommend or even anything else I can buy or he can buy, I should say. Thanks, Geraldine in Mayo. Well, Geraldine in Mayo, if he really, really loves you, he's going to buy you a Thermomix. If he's a cheap ass, brother, he's going to buy you a tri-blade stick blender that's going to be about 150 snots. You can add a 1,000 onto the 150 snots if you want the Thermomix. But here's the thing. It all depends in what it is that you're blending, what you want it for. If you just want something, if you're making little soups or whatever, and you want to, the stick blender is actually better than the Thermomix for that. It's handier. It's a whole lot easier. Serious bit of kit, the Thermomix. Yeah, the Thermomix. What's the cooking? difference in real terms that the Thermomix... Well, the Thermomix, right, will turn... Pep, like whole spices into a powder in split seconds. You can, you can actually you can cook in a thermal mix, right? Yeah. Where like a blender, you don't cook in there. Like hence the name thermo is the heat part of a thermal mix. Yeah. So you can actually load a thermal wow. mix with, you know, stock vegetables, butter, some seasoning, turn it on, and it it'll it'll actually cook first, and then it's, it's you can program it you to make program it to blend or a puree. And so for the first sorry, mm. first ten minutes of it. It's going to boil the product and then it's going to blend the product. That's incredible. So it yeah. is incredible. It is. And, and the new ones, which no chef really likes because they're too fancy pantsy. I, I have the first edition at home. Uh, Nettie won't let no, me no, keep no, it no, in the kitchen because I have to bring it to the garage. I'm like going, <laughs> Jesus Christ, Like it's the greatest bit of kit. I just want to look at it. I want to sit it big? in the sitting room yeah, watching the match. The footprint of it is like, uh, yeah. uh, it'd be like uh, a double white. fat fryer. Okay. It's yeah. like a large toaster and I just yeah, want to be able to look over at it and say, oh, I have never mix in my kitchen. I'm the man. Right. You know what I mean? She wants me to keep it in the garage. No, but it, it, it's, a stick, bell, uh, stick blender is well worth it. Or, do you know what? I use a Nutribullet a lot. Yeah, they're good you know, wagons, like, yeah. Especially for a... Yeah, but that's okay if you're just making one thing for one person or two. I mean, if you're making, you know, a pot of soup or whatever... Like it's you've a got, hand, hand blender. Yeah, hand blender all day long. Do you know what? Go into Arnott's, 
Downstairs, Briscoe's is amazing. You, I could spend all day downstairs in Arnott's looking at toasters, cookers, mm. pots, pans. It's the it's the coolest place on earth. I'm deadly serious as well. But Kenwood or Braun or whatever, about a hundred KitchenAid do a good one. hundred and fifty bucks is usually, and that'll get you a little attachment that the motor you can connect the motor to the attachment, and you could have parsley in there or you could have onions in there boom 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 two or three pulses you've chopped it all up you can make a dressing in those little things so you can add in your bits and bobs blend it brilliant enough for like two or three mugs worth of say a pesto or whatever you would want and then you can just put them straight into a, a pot of soup or whatever it'll be if you're blending soups, sauces, whatnot. If you want to get really funky and you, you want to be professional and really look at Thermomixes, you want to look into it. You'd want to say to yourself, I can justify that. I'm going to do, do loads at home. You know, you can make a sorbet a la minute in it. You can add in frozen fruit, ice cubes, go through a recipe. And within about three minutes, you have a perfect sorbet. You've literally made it. The Thermomix is so strong, it will it will make ice feel like just a perfect little sorbet texture. That's how fine it can blend stuff. I just have this image of your house on fire, Gary, and you on the lawn with the Thermomix. Yeah, wrap my arms <laughs> around and, and it. The kid, and the kids and wife going, uh, Gary, hello. Everything's going to be okay, baby. Everything's going to be okay. <laughs> uh, hey, lads, thanks for the pod. Loving the crack each week. I just wanted to ask about what pet peeves, oh, we spoke about this, actually. What pet peeves both of you have when you go to eat in a restaurant as customers? That comes from Derek Doyle in Leitrim oh, I'm going to start off this one yeah I mean once you start him and we'll, you know, we'll have to run an, <laughs> its own separate pod in this now I suppose the only thing that really bothers me when I get to a restaurant is uh, like a really poor welcome and really poor service right. I just don't think you can come back from that you know no, the, like and I'm not talking about walking into a busy restaurant and they can't look after you from the, the get go I'm talking about when you go into a restaurant and you kind of get the impression that the person doesn't want you there or okay. when you sit down and then you order a drink and you can see that they're, they're not just paying attention to, not necessarily me as a guest, but the guests. So they might be up there checking their phone or they're talking to somebody. or And that's not only from when I'm a guest, but when I'm working somewhere and mm. I see that type of, it's lack of professionalism was what it really is. And then no matter what the chef is going to do, it, you're never going to place that it's person. It's tainted from the get-go. No, and I think, you know, like, maybe what people mightn't understand about our jobs is it's not just about peeling the perfect onion or finding the, the greatest bottle of oil or the greatest bottle of lemon. It, running a restaurant or being involved in running a hotel is about really the front and back of house working together as a team to deliver a memorable experience. So when anything, it's like then when the chef or the, the, the kitchen brigade are not paying enough attention to getting the food out to the guests on time or there's a misconception when, it get, when a steak is cooked incorrectly and you bring it back to the kitchen, the first thing in the chef's mind is getting another steak on and then doing something saying, right, we'll go back out to that table, see that the rest of the food need to come in or let's make sure that that table is super happy. Fairly rare someone will say, no, no, I, what we do is we'll send out a sorbet so the guest isn't left without something in front of them so the rest of the table can continue eat. But if it was a steak that I thought was going to take too long, I may insist on all the food coming back yeah. in. So these are things that happen in a professional environment and when they don't happen, that's when the anxiety levels lifts, 
lifts for the host on the table so whoever's idea it was to go for dinner like that's the stuff that I just think is unforgivable okay. um, so yeah that would be a big pet peeve of mine there's other things yeah good good, well. good service can fix a bad meal like but mm. you know bad service will do nothing to, to like a good one you know what I mean mm. like it's just smiles something as simple as as friendliness and pleasantry you know what I mean like when you look at somebody they make you feel welcome they're, when they're walking around and passing each other you know that they that they're bright bubbly even if you're having a bad day if you're working front of house you know you can't look like you're running you know I've a famous a man says a famous saying like but one that I always have in my head or said to some of my team when I'm talking to them you never saw Messi rushing you never you never see him in a panic like slow down if you're a waiter and you're running around a room or you're moving too quick and you're bumping into tables and you you look just like you're sweating and you're all disorganized it just sounds like your body language is really really poor and everything looks like it's falling around down around you you know you've got to be really a good waiter or waiters have got to be really aware of the energy that they're putting out in the room and just you know, be nice, be friendly, be prompt, and then don't be in a, anyone's face too long either. I think sometimes there's a fine line between over-service and somebody coming with the, is everything all right, can you get any, especially chefs, when they know and they might get nervous. Well, you can go to a lot of places where they might know, like, like big boy Gareth Mullins in the house tonight, and he's just been asked for the eighth time, was everything all right? And you're like, well, it was fine the first three times. Yep. You know, on a serious note, leave me alone. I hate that. Yeah, it's it's fucking terrible. Do you want it? Well, uh, oddly enough, that was the one I was going to mention if I was asked. It's the kind of over fussiness, as, mm. as Gary says. Like it was, it was fine three minutes ago. Yeah, yeah. It's still the same state. Yeah, I want. I came here yeah, to yeah. talk to it, my it was wife. Good. You, you know? And then you can see them hovering in the corner of your eye, and looking around. But mm. something happened in a restaurant I was in the other night. It's not so much from this, from the staff point of view, but this lovely lady whose husband is the chef in the restaurant, made her the waiter, waitress. She brought us in and sat us down, took her order, and she was going around every now and then, only once in about the, to each table. There's only about six tables in this place. And her, how's everything okay? And, you know. And of course, I suppose as an Irish person, you go, oh, oh yeah. you know, you know, your arm could be on fire. You, know what I mean? you, could, <laughs> you, know, you could have botulism. You go, oh, no, it's, it's lovely. You know, the left side of your yeah. face is drooping. You go, and you go, no, 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 it's great. It's really, it's really nice. And then there was a couple of lads beside me. They were having a conversation, which I unfortunately had to overhear. It was so dreary. It's always the boring ones that you hear. And she asked him, is everything okay? And he just turned around and he said, yeah, it's all right. Uh-huh. And then he went back to the conversation with his friend and I was so angry <laughs> yeah. I like I had to bunch up my napkin and go I'm gonna I, I just got, felt she was her, her face flushed really? she was embarrassed uh. and humiliated and I was like you fucking prick mm. yeah. all you had to do was go yeah it's, it's, it's grand thanks uh, so much yeah. yeah lovely but he turned around yeah it's alright and just mm. went back to his friend and that absolutely ground my gears yeah but the reality is I mean of that lady you know if she's a prof- she is oh, a professional, she- I'm sure you get on with it because yeah. unfortunately you get punters in any business that are just gonna, yeah. you know, generally speaking. But I think, I think dining has changed a lot. I mean, I think I said it a few weeks ago here. The level in Ireland, especially, has gone up so much. And um, we were talking to Ryan about Gordon Ramsay. He was only here this week, and he put out a tweet or he put out yeah. on his Instagram talking about how now he was eating and. Oh, yeah, he he, he, pick, he picked his spots yeah, wisely. Well, yeah, like he said, you know, there's a bustling, amazing film scene here in Ireland. Yeah, and, you know, we're huge advocates for the Irish hospitality industry, and what we're known for worldwide 
is friendliness. We're all we're getting known now, thankfully, about good cooking, and we're getting known for our ingredients because I think as an industry we're getting better at telling that story. But you can land yourself in all different parts of the world, and the service is so bland, yeah, and so unwelcoming. I'd be like. That's what they're talking about when they say Ireland is the land of a thousand welcomes. Yeah. You know, and I think we're very lucky for that and I think we need to continue to tell that story and look, we have a, we have a platform and a space to be able to say that. So there you go. We, we spun that negative talking into... Into po- positivity. Into and ketchup sachets. I cannot stand ketchup <laughs> and mayonnaise. We, we will not be defeated. Trust me with a bottle of sauce. I'm okay. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, we use little jars. Yeah, little jars. And we land the truffles you, again. So. You're chewing on that thing like some kind of demented squirrel. <laughs> anyway, sorry, if you start me, I'll keep going. Gareth and Gary, my partner and I are renovating an old farmhouse. Thank you very much. And we've survived as a couple until we got to the kitchen. I'm determined we get a gas oven but he insists on induction please help me convince him i'm right thanks in advance laura o'reardon in galway the winner of that argument is who does most of the cooking at home my sense is it's her my my sense is it's her he should shut up yeah and and just be quiet be grateful that he gets somebody that cooks some dinner um there's look it's I'm, it's totally preference i have to say I love gas. I've I've one of the best cookers you can get in the house. It's all Wolf gas, but induction is not electric. Uh, although it is electric, but induction works at an unbelievably powerful level. Cooks quicker. You, ha- you have to learn it, how to use induction. Yeah, yeah, you got to be fairly nifty fifty. Like if you're going to use induction, every every induction hob is different. You certainly got to treat them with kid gloves. Um, you can't have anything on them that you're not doing. You put a pan on there and you turn it up. You better. The earlier ones would have heated up to the point where it would actually crumble the pan in front of your eyes. I watched it happen in the RDS at, at one of them big trade shows one time where the boy came from Electrolux and he said to the chef, he goes, boys, I have two walk induction units and I literally have only two walks. Don't put the walk in the hole you're until you're ready to go. First chef up, three seconds. Just melted into the handle. Jeez. I never seen anything as cool in all my life, right? <laughs> it was unbelievable. And then he says, That's it, off the stage. And I was next up and I goes, I will not wreck Z walk. And I didn't, but I was a bit like, I keep it our number three there, boss. You know what I mean? They're very rapid and they're absolutely amazing. To be honest, I can see where he's coming from, where he maybe wants it cleaner, doesn't want gas. He's maybe thinking, I don't want gas canisters outside the house. From a visual point of view, Induction is the winner there. Um, good cooks or people that love to cook at home really do like gas. They like to see the open flame. Probably one of the only things that the open flame will give you that the induction doesn't is the ability to fire roast maybe bell peppers or whatever, but you're not. I wouldn't be doing that too often in my own cooker. I don't want to be blocking Professional the kitchens now are all moving to induction. Oh, are they? Yeah, yeah. yeah. If, if I go back, I don't know, 10, 15 years ago, it was all gas, but now ergonomically... Uh, it, their, induction is quieter it's more efficient on energy Cold, it's colder yeah, yeah it's just everything about induction is better from a, from the atmosphere that you're going to be in so like obviously gas generates much more heat um, that goes into the atmosphere where the chefs are working so now all kitchens but that'll change would it not maybe I'm silly question but say the cooking time that you're used to that's what I was saying I mean that's why I threw that point in you kind of have to readjust how you come at something Yeah. so like if you're roasting a scallop in an induction pan you have to buy special equipment you can't just put any L pan on an induction stove it has to be an induction pan so 
I don't know what cookware they own. iron works in induction, and then yeah. other ones with like the steel base, but they're they're expensive. And yeah, but like I mean, that's all the stuff you. I mean, if you if she's out shopping at the moment, they're gonna be telling her that like what cookware have you got? You might have to change your cookware. But even at that, like if you, I think a scallop is a good example. If you go in on gas, you wait until the pan gets so hot. It's not like smoking hot like you're gonna cook a steak because it'd be too aggressive. But on induction, when you put it to number ten. You're into the world of smoking hot nearly straight away. Yeah. It's impressive. How You've got to have your mise en place boxed off. And yeah, but it's like anything. You learn how to use it, and then, like, after a certain amount of time, you'll have forgotten that you used to cook on gas. You know, yeah. like in, in the kitchen I'm in and work over in the, on the sauce section where the guys and girls cook all the fish and the meat. There's gas over there, but the stove that's directly behind me, I have an induction stove behind me, so I, fin- I reheat all my sauces on there and I finish a lot of dishes over there. Um, I'm putting in a new kitchen next year and I'm, I'm just in the tr- in, in work. I'm in the trousers of just the final design of it at the moment and we're going all induction. Wow. Yeah, because the technology is just really come on. Once it is induction, though, that they're putting in and not it's just not an electric hob, because an electric hob... Disaster. ...is a disaster. Well... You get an electric hob or an electric ring hot, and then you turn it down to a simmer. You gotta wait till it cools down. It doesn't just go down. Literally, if you with an induction an induction stove, you could have a pan on there and it's smoking hot. You take it off. You could put your hand onto the plate. It's that quick. Yeah. It, well, it's the it inducts heat into the into the steel. It's like super. It's high technology. So what I would say to that lady, just to give her and give the both of them some real rounded advice. Go and have a look at an indu- or talk to someone that has an induction stove, and then go and talk to somebody. I mean, even better if you could cook on an induction and like induction yeah. is all 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 houses, new houses. Yeah, they're well, amazing. Yeah, it's a, yeah. It, like, to be honest, it's a win-win argument. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Brilliant. Yeah, pick your pick your battle loads. <laughs> yeah. You've got uh, bigger fights you're gonna have, brother. <laughs> Give her what she wants. <laughs> And that's from a that's season. A good, that's a season pro. It's a good rule to live by in life, <laughs> I would say. But anyway, go on. Uh, thanks to everyone for all their questions to Gareth and Gary. Don't forget, you can get through to them at food at goloudnow.com. Okay, guys, so that's another episode wrapped up. Ryan O'Sullivan, that's a name I'm going to remember now. I didn't know an awful lot of, about Ryan, and I know he won't, won't mind me saying that because yeah. uh, obviously it's not on the TV here, but. Yeah, he caught chef, my he caught my chef, eye. Chef, I would say. He caught my eye a few months ago, and I, I and but I'll be honest, I'd seen that he was on Hell's Kitchen, but more importantly, I looked down through his images and I thought, geez, there's a kid that knows how to yeah, handle cooking. his pots and pans. He's a he's a lovely little cook, looks really good, really bubbly. He's gonna he's gonna have a good career. I'd say the Americans are gonna love him. They're gonna probably have. Yeah, but the sounds of things, he's cooking at a very high level now. I mean, oh yeah, a, I mean they're doing some serious covers in that place. That so. club at Marisol now wouldn't be for the. That must be a huge thing in the states. Those golf clubs, like, yeah, much yeah. bigger than here or. Uh, well, I know there's some serious golf. Well, there's some of the biggest and best golf in the world is is in Ireland. You know, yeah. I mean, you look at Hogshead; it's probably one of the most. But that's that. Yeah, but even if you get into a there, the K Club, I mean, oh, all the massive K places. Club, Dare Manor, you know, Royal County Down, Port Marnock. Yeah, you could go Rosapenna. Yeah. You could go on all day. But I suppose the difference over there is climate, heat, and Florida as well. Obviously, for tax reasons, a lot of people split their time down there, and that that's why. 
people say they, they spend six months of the year in Florida. It's very, very simple. It's very favorable tax breaks. Uh, there's no state You'll taxes. You'll there, Ed, have you? Need to there, the yeah, there's no, there's, <laughs> no, uh, there's no state taxes in Florida where there is in a lot of the states in America. They've got good climate all year round. So sort of from when the winter kicks in, like pre-winter, September, October, November, there'll be a massive. And their Florida season is really the winter season. Right. Whereas in the summer, it's, it's actually too hot. too hot. Most of them, like the Parisians it's and Paris. It's mad to hear anybody saying that it's too hot to do yeah, anything. Like their whole world is about just getting a bit of lead and heat. Yeah, <laughs> they'd be allowed. So he'll be coming into his quiet season, funny enough, in a way. It won't be quiet, but well, it'll look, be... Look, come here, what an amazing experience for him and to go on and win it. Ah, uh, yeah, and it's, it's not easy. Thing. Like, you know, when he makes there about sabotage and... You know, especially some of those like Americans, you see them like they really want to win them. Like they look at it, they take yeah, it very serious. The people that are running that show, they want to have showbiz. They want drama. Time. Yeah, like yeah, they yeah. would be encouraging that stuff off yeah. the scenes. Really smart, really calculated way that he approached the whole show, and good for him. Really nice guy, and uh, wishing him all the best in his career. Dishing it out with Gary O'Hanlon and Gareth Mullins, a Go Loud original podcast. Subscribe for free on the Go Loud app and never miss an episode. Go Loud. Sounds better with us.